0: This is Steve Madden, the author of The Cobbler, on Books on Pod, with Trey
1: Elling. Have a listen.
0: Hello, readers. Big Frida is a New Orleans native, reality star, and musician who's credited for bringing the NOLA brand of hip-hop, bounce music, to the mainstream. She's also the author of Big Frida, God Save the Diva Queen, which has just been reissued in paperback. For you to thank you for the time. Stuff's gotten pretty crazy this year, but especially for someone whose life involves traveling the country performing music in front of large crowds, what have the last nine months been like for
1: you? You know, it's been a little difficult being that I love the road so much and I love to be in the room with my fans and entertaining and doing what we love to do so much i just been figuring out new ways to make things happen and to rebrand myself and to entertain my fans. And I started coming up with What You Cookin' Wednesdays and the Shakedown Fridays and the Gospel Brunch. And then I was able to be blessed to bring it out to City Park Botanical Garden and allow the fans to come and have the free-to-experience. So things been pretty busy for me, just still trying to figure out ways to keep the fans entertained. You know, people were locked in their homes for a while and I wanted to do something to keep them entertained and it wound up taking off for me in a new direction. I've been making a lot of music and my new Christmas EP is about to drop on Friday, put out a new single this week with low Millie better be. And also re-release my book. God save the queen diva on paperback this week. So I've been just trying to stay busy and just trying to keep my mind afloat and keep people entertained, you know?
0: So this book does a really good job of going back and forth between your life as a musician and your life as a gay man, with those things certainly intertwining at times. Starting with the former, when did you realize your love for performing music on stage?
1: Well, I started in gospel music very young, and once I went to church for many years and became a choir director, my love for music became even stronger, and I had a spotlight at church where I was able to direct and sing solos and be the voice of the church and so that went on to high school and went on to my own choir and some other choirs that I sung with locally here in New Orleans. And so I then had kind of a little spotlight. But in ninety eight when Katie Red started to come out with bounce music, I started to help Katie and background her. And I really got my big push in 2000 when I put out my solo project and had a stage of my own. And I haven't looked back since.
0: That's a pretty good idea, and I think some of the most successful people are those who don't dwell too much on the past. Now, you also talk very openly about your sexuality throughout this book. You knew early on in your life that you were attracted to other men. It's one thing to know that on the inside, but another to admit it to the world. And for you, coming out meant telling your mama, a.k.a. Miss V, a.k.a. the most important person in your life, first, which you did your freshman year of high school. How'd that go down, and what was her response?
1: So she gave me a little birthday party in the backyard. I pulled her over and I said, Mom, I want to talk to you while all of my friends were there. And I set her on my lap and told her that I was gay and that this is what I decided and what I'm going with. And she said, baby, mama already knew. So <laughs> moms know their children before. Sometimes you don't even have to speak on situations. And then the next morning we got up We had a conversation, we talked, we laughed, we cried. And once she accepted me, I didn't need approval from anybody else in the world.
0: You know, it's interesting. You tell your mom as a freshman and the rest of the world finds out when you're a sophomore... When I was reading the book in that moment, I felt this anxiety for you as somebody who also lives in the South, knowing that it could be difficult on an adolescent who chooses to come out, considering just some of the ignorance that exists in these parts with regards to these things. But then again, New Orleans kind of marches to the beat of its own drum. Were your classmates mostly accepting of you after you came out?
1: You know, it was a half and half, mostly the girls. I only had trouble with mostly the guys, so it was kind of half and half. And for the most part, the girls won because the girls will be there in support and to protect me, and they wanted to have fun. They wanted to have a gay friend. So I definitely did have some hardship, and I had to fight some time, and I had to stand up and be who I wanted to be and fight for my rights. But I think that's what makes my story a great story, that it wasn't so easy and that It made me suffer for the world, you know, when I had to come out to the world and face the world.
0: Absolutely. And after coming out, you also wanted to look the part in a different sort of way, which meant getting a new hairdo. What change did you make to your hair, and how did people respond in a way that you describe in this book as a life-changing moment?
1: Well, I always wanted to do something crazy and wild for the hair. (laughs) My mom was a hairdresser for 30 years. And I was into trying to keep up with the styles that was out at the time. Big old freezes like Mark Simpson, claws, curls. It was just all kind of stuff. My hair got me a lot of attention though. It got me in trouble. Sometimes the principal would call and say that Freddie hair is causing too much attention and the kids are not focusing on their studies. And, um, my mom always stood up for me no matter what. She would say, they need to be worrying about their books instead of worrying about my child's hair. <laughs> you know, he's able to be himself, and this is what he likes. And I had some times that I had to go through, but it was all fun time. I got to do what I wanted to do. And when my mom got tired of coming to school, she was like, we're going to wash this shit, and we're going to cut your hair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Frida, considering that you're the undisputed queen of bounce, what was your first taste of bounce music?
1: Honestly, you know, my first taste was in middle school at the dances and in high school at the dances, remembering listening to DJ Jubilee and Partners in Crime and Miss T and Cheeky Black and all of the people that set the way for Bounce Music and the culture. And I listened to all of them growing up, and it was fun times. And when Katie stepped in in 98 and I started to help Katie and background her and record music with her, I stepped further into the game. And then once I did my solo project, that's what really took off for me and really set me aside from everybody else and kind of started to create my own lane.
0: Your shift into creating your own lane became official thanks to a mountain of a man named Kenneth Turner. Who was KT and what did he do for you?
1: KT was my producer, he was the guy who owned Money Rules Entertainment. This guy named Steve Rudin, and they were responsible for teaching me the game of music, getting me on my grind with hustling, making sure that I got my money before shows. And they just taught me a lot about the game. And I miss him dearly. He was my friend. He was my producer. I just wish KT was still here with me to see how much I have flourished and how much my career has grown and really set a tone here in New Orleans in the bounce game.
0: So how did you go from your birth name, Freddie to Frida, and why is there an I in Frida, considering how it's pronounced?
1: Yeah, so being who I am and being gay, they used to call me Big Freddy, Freaky Freddy, all kinds of stuff. I had all kind of nicknames. One day, my friend was like, hey, child, we need to give you a more girly name, and she wound up calling me Frida, and... When I started to rap, we added the "big." We kept it similar to the way that my name is spelled. That's why it still has the I. Freddie has the I. Frida has the I. So I wanted to spell it kind of like my name and just do something different. And people was like, why you got the I? And I'm like, the I is silent, but it's spelled kind of like my name is spelled. And ever since Raven started calling me Frida, I started adding other names to it and making it go with my branding. She said Frida, we added big, then I added Queen Diva, then Late Night Creeper, then Dick Eda, and it just went on and on and it just became my stage name and when I would do my introduction, people mouths would drop and people just would go crazy when I said my name.
0: So you tell a number of stories, life altering moments from your own existence, and this includes getting shot after a show in two thousand and four. What exactly happened there?
1: Well, I was dropping a friend off and wind up seeing her go inside and I spent around in the project in the driveway and there was this guy just standing in the middle of the road and he actually was just standing there and I'm, you know, like, why is this guy standing in front of the truck? And he finally moved out the way and then I heard gunshots, didn't know where they were coming from, didn't know I was being shot at until my window shattered. And if I hadn't put up my hand, I would have been shot in my head. The the bullet stopped right in my wrist. And um, I'm just grateful to be alive. Still don't know why it happened. Never saw the dude again. Don't know where he is. Don't know what happened to him. I do know that he went to jail for another situation after he shot me, but it was nothing related to me. And I just haven't heard about that or nothing was resolved with that ever since it happened.
0: Was there a sense of urgency to treat you when you got to the hospital?
1: There was not. I sat in the waiting room for hours with the bullet in my arm. It was threatening. they said. And they had a lot of gunshots in surgery on that day. And so, yeah, I had to sit in the hallway with the bullet in my arm for a few hours.
0: It's incredibly a sad state of affairs with our medical system. And yeah. to add to the craziness of your life, a year and a half later, you end up going through another extreme trauma with Hurricane Katrina in August of 2005. What was happening with you on the night that the storm hit New Orleans?
1: We were all at my house that I had just moved to. Uh, I was in my new home, um, two weeks old, had just Really started to try to get my house situated, had just made groceries, filled up both refrigerators. Just like any normal storm that come, oh, you know, us New Orleans people, we say, it's going to pass by, it's not going to be too bad, and that's what we thought. But once the storm did hit, it was life-changing. You know, I slept on the bridge, slept at the convention center, had to be rescued by a boat. I went on a plane and flew to an army base in Arkansas, then to a campground, then to Shreveport, then to Laplace, then to Houston, then finally back to New Orleans. My life was in the shambles, and I was trying to find stability and peace and restarting my life all over. But through it all, I just was grateful to be alive, and we had to do survival tactics for me and my family just so that we can make it through.
0: As you just mentioned, you were evacuated by boat from the roof of your house. You end up on a bridge, and you eventually walk back towards downtown New Orleans. The Superdome is not an option, though. It's already too crowded, so you do end up at the convention center. What was the scene like at the New Orleans convention center when you got there?
1: Thousands of people, nowhere to go, raiding the convention center, building refrigerators to people sleeping on the ground, blankets, kids, elderly people, People on side of the road that had them passed away that was covered in white sheets, U.S. Army, National Guard, riding up and down the street with guns pulled. It was something to see. It was life-changing. It was traumatic. It was, um, it was just horrible. You know, people were playing games and saying stuff like the water's coming as everybody's sleeping at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, so then you would have a stampede. We went through some really rough times out there. Also, when the buses came, people were so anxious to get on the buses, they almost turned the buses over trying to get on them. That's how they were pushing them and rocking the buses. So then they took the buses about 10 blocks away, then had to set up barricades and lines for us to go down the 10 blocks to get to the buses. It was all unorganized and people were looking for food and some type of comfort, but um, we made it through.
0: That's unbelievably heartbreaking to hear uh, what you uh, were having to go through in that moment. As you did talk about, you end up moving to Texas temporarily, but you do make your way back to New Orleans, I want to say within two years of Katrina, and you ended up going back there sooner than most. Why was it so important for you to get back to New Orleans sooner than most people had?
1: It was all that I knew, and I miss home, and I miss my city, and I also was trying to recruit people to come back home so that we can rebuild our city and rebuild our lives. And being a musician, you know, a lot of people listened and looked up to me, and I just wanted to do my due diligence in trying to help as much as I can to rebuild New Orleans. I'm a big part of the culture here and the scene And I just wanted to do everything in my power to see people get back to some type of normal life.
0: So you had been popular in New Orleans for a while, but you started to gain a national and international following in around 2009. By 2010, you were holding bounce classes before shows. What did these classes consist of?
1: Oh, I mean, a room full of people, 40 to 60 people, sometimes even larger, going around teaching classes at clubs and dance studios before the shows. It was fun times, you know, teaching people how to move that ass. We had some great times, great memories. It was powerful. It was giving a chance for people to feel liberated and not feel judged. And um, as you can see, it has grown and become infectious all around the world. All you, want, you see is everybody's twerking now. You obviously
0: get a ton of credit for helping to popularize twerking. Did you invent the twerk, though?
1: No, not at all. Okay. It's been around way before me. If you look at a style of dance called the Mapuka, comes from West India, Africa. These ladies were doing tribal dances way back then, and they were doing similar dances that we do in Bounce Music. So I credit a lot of the moves and the movement of the body, definitely from the style of Mapuka, but it definitely comes from our ancestors.
0: Do you remember the first twerk that you ever did that got a crowd going?
1: Oh, that was in middle school before I was (laughs) even a performer.
0: (laughs) Middle school, really?
1: Yes. What happened? I knew how to shake that ass. (laughs) I knew how to shake it. Growing up in New Orleans, you learn as a baby. And, you know, we have babies all the way to grandmothers working here. And it just was something that is a part of the culture. So you learn at an early age. And I knew at an early age how to dance, and I loved to dance. I was a fat kid who had lots of energy and was light on my feet. So, um, yeah, I knew how to dance. And in middle school, you know, I would get on the wall and flip upside down and twerk with the girls. And so I've been a shaker.
0: One of the saddest parts of this book is the end of the book is when your mom, Miss V, who was going through a battle with cancer, lost that fight in 2014. While the death of someone close to us hurts, it's obviously very important to carry on the spirit of that person and moving forward. What do you cherish most about your mom?
1: Just all the great memories and what she taught me and what she instilled in me and just her hustle of so many years of taking care of us and being an independent woman and being so strong and powerful and touching in people's lives.
0: Your career has continued to blow up since the end of this book, and that includes performances with or getting sampled by the likes of Beyonce, Drake, Kesha. Lizzo's on that list now. Do you have a favorite collaboration over the last five years?
1: I don't. I love all my collaborations. But if I had to choose one, of course, Beyonce will be the one that I enjoyed the most because I got to perform with her in the Superdome in front of 70,000 people that were screaming and hollering. It was in my hometown, so I had the love of my city behind me. It was no performance like it.
0: Was that an out-of-body experience? That sounds incredible.
1: Yes, it was. It was like my spirit was lifted out my body and then came back in, and it was just unbelievable. The energy, the love, everything about the whole performance was unbelievable.
0: Your brother Adam, sadly, was a victim of gun violence in 2018, which inspired you to make the documentary Frida Got a Gun. And that was released earlier this year. What message do you hope to convey with this film?
1: You know, I want to get it in the right people's hand, the local and national leaders, that we have a bigger problem here in New Orleans and in the country that we face with gun violence and the gun laws. And I hope that they will recognize that Lots of people and lots of families are hurting and losing loved ones because of these weapons and that they will get off their ass and do something about it. It is constantly happening. It has been happening since I was a kid, but it has gotten worse over the years. And it's time for some people to step up and really do something about it and just stop talking about it.
0: And on that note... You actually have a personal connection with George Floyd, who, of course, was senselessly murdered by Minnesota police earlier this year. What is your connection with George Floyd?
1: That was my friend. He was my security guard a few times when I was in Minneapolis. And uh, it was so sad that we lost him the way that we did. And it started the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, he will forever be remembered in is legacy should have on because it was something that happened that should not have happened. And I will miss him dearly. He was a kind, gentle giant. He always called and checked on me or text me and asked me when we going on the road. So I was saddened to lose George and the world was saddened to lose George. And my heart still goes out to his family and friends and he will forever be missed.
0: Last thing, Frida. What does New Orleans mean to you?
1: Everything. You know, it is home. It is the place that has helped to make Frida who I am. This is my home. This is what I know, where I grew up. And I love everything about my city and the people of New Orleans the culture, the food, the music. And most important, my family's here.
0: Big Frida is a New Orleans native, reality star, and musician who's credited for bringing the NOLA brand of hip hop bounce music to the mainstream. She's also the author of Big Frida, God Save the Diva Queen, which has just been reissued in paperback. Frida, thank you for the time today, and thank you for this great book.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Trey.
0: And thanks to you for listening today. You can Give us a follow on social media at Books on Pod. And you can hear all of our episodes at BooksOnPod.com or by searching Books on Pod with Trey Elling wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave a five-star rating and review. Helps us grow the show. We'll talk to you next time on Books on Pod.